What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 159, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' episode 38 minutes. 38 minutes! There was no there was no robot eating time. There was uh there was a 38-minute countdown, and it came right down to the final seconds. It was very tense. Very tense, but we'll talk all about it here in just a second. Hey, friends. But hey, Brent, yeah. I, I promise that our podcast will last longer than 38 minutes. Uh, you've alluded to it before. We've <laughs> said it before. Early days in our podcasting, we were like, we should make the podcast 38 minutes. And I'm like, why? And Zach's like, it's a, it, it'll come up. <laughs> it'll be, it'll come up later. <laughs> and and we, don't. <laughs> we don't. And we don't keep it 38 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we're an independent podcast. Uh, we have a Patreon. Thank you so much, everybody who has supported us on Patreon. Uh, we still have not yet. Uh, Zach and I came up with some really, really good preliminary ideas. And then both of us, as is the case, got busy and we haven't finalized it. But we're definitely like, you know, zeroing in on it on the next phase. The next phase will be featuring our website a bit more than we currently have um, in the past. So, you know, Zach will tell you where to find that stuff. But in the meantime... Thanks very much, everyone, again, who have supported us on Patreon. And uh, we do have Patreon first stuff on there. There's a couple more things yet that we have yet to release onto the main feed. And yes, you heard that right. Anything on our Patreon always makes it to the main feed, especially when we want to take breaks. Except for in a few weeks, Zach, or a couple, a couple weeks. Yes. Um, not going to say anything right now, but uh, we've got we got something really special here for, for everybody here in a couple we weeks. We do. Yeah. So um, we're going to take a break from recording that weekend, um, but we have brand new content that even the Patreons haven't seen first, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I was, I, it, it was. I'm, yeah, and uh, I'm excited to share it with everybody, but uh, it's also what's a lot of fun is keeping it a secret right now, so. Uh, yeah, and, and David, hush. Yeah, you can't say anything either, David. No talking. So... Um, yeah, so we got that going on. Uh, where can you find our podcast? Well, so you found it, but uh, friends can find us by searching for Stargate. I'm surprised at how many people do find us by like literally just typing in the word Stargate um, and finding it. But they can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and iHeartRadio Podcasts and uh, Amazon Podcasts. And uh, the right way to do it, though, is, of course, to get your podcast aggregator and type in Walking Through the Stargate and subscribe to that there. Uh, you can find all that jazzy jazz at where I just said, wow, I was about to repeat myself. Uh, hey, Zach. Yes, Brent. Um, if somebody wants to let us know that when I don't have an entire paragraph to read about like how to support the show and uh, I feel like the after 159 times of explaining where they can find our podcast that it's getting a little redundant. How might they reach out and let us know that perhaps I need to shake it up a little bit? Well, if you realize that Brent goes off script more often than he wants to admit mm -hmm. <laughs> and then realizes halfway through going off script that he doesn't remember where he left and how to get back onto the road. Uh, yeah. But you have the map so that uh -huh. he can get back on the road. Yes. Please email us at walking through the at gmail.com and give that information to Brent. Yes. I do and, check and, the email. And me. Or yeah. whatever, you know, I, either way, because I, yeah. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. You can go to the Facebooks. We have a Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and a Facebook group. Yep. And you can smash all of the buttons as appropriate. If you want to get our promos every week, you can go to the YouTubes. Oh, that's right. And yeah. 
and and subscribe to the Stargate Walkin. Is that right? Uh, yes, because it's a play on Christopher Walken. Yeah, but it's Stargate Walken. Yeah. Uh, you, this this is way back when when we didn't think we'd actually like have listeners, and so we oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> I had to come up with a name. It said you said hi. You know, we can make a new account. What's your first name? And I'm like, uh, I mean, it's not gonna be walking through the. <laughs> <laughs> so you can also go to the discords uh we have a discord group uh that's where m- most of our online chatting and yes. social media in happenings yes stuff there and the discords in fact brent um we actually had somebody find us on discord first yes i i noticed that yes um and, and uh they were looking for uh stargate groups on the discords and they found us and then the the folks there pointed this person to the podcast and um and if you're listening that's awesome great yes. thanks for listening we appreciate yeah, that absolutely um and of course we have our website wtts.space space um and as brent alluded to as we uh move into a separate uh, a next phase of Patreon-like stuff. We'll be uh, delving into that a little bit more uh, and trying to utilize that website um, more effectively than yeah. what we have. Yeah, it's currently like literally like a Geo... That's not a GeoCities page. I'm just making a reference. Like, it's just a thing that exists. Yeah. Out in the universe, kind of lonely. <laughs> there it is. Yep. So, um, with that, Brent... Yes, I think that I'm ready to delve into this episode. Yeah, let's dig in. Let's dig in. Yeah, let's let's do it. Mm. All right. So the director for 38 minutes is Mario as a party. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This is a name that we have heard, but it has been a very long time since yeah. we heard it. Um, this is his first directing credit of Atlantis. He's got a total of four directing credits of Atlantis, all in the first season. Uh huh. Um, he directed five episodes of SG-1 back in the first season, including the pilot Children of the Gods. Uh-huh. Uh, in addition, Brief Candle, Bloodline, Singularity, and Korai. Yeah. All so right. He, he did those, and he has returned to the Stargate universe and is directing a few episodes in this season. I think, um, uh, I think we just heard a story recently about him, and he always calls everybody Chief. Yes, Yes, yeah. he calls everybody chief. Yep. Um, and, and apparently he is a man who is very intense. Yes. Not uh, camping. So not 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 camping, but nope. but uh, just like 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 the big eyes and the and and the the passionate hands and the electricity yes. coming out of him. And yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> but but not like a palpatine way. <laughs> no, no, so, no, 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 no. Uh so uh but uh uh, th- this episode here uh, was a very challenging directing uh, job and acting because you had a very small set of that puddle jumper, yeah. and you had four people in the set plus uh, the camera guys and the lights guys and the director and like everybody's just in a tight little bottle and it's just like ah yeah so yep um. The teleplay for 38 Minutes is by Brad Wright. This is his second of two writing credits this season. So uh, aside from doing all of those uh, executive producer type of things uh, that he does, uh, we won't hear his name 
Well, that's not true. We might hear it a little bit here and there, but but he won't doesn't have any other writing credits this season. Yep. Uh, so as I have been doing, uh, I've been taking one of our main cast members yes. and talking about them each week. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Rachel Luttrell. Uh, I always thought of it as Luttrell with the the accent on the second syllable, but I was listening to the commentary uh, yesterday, and Rachel Luttrell and uh, Carson Beckett, um, ah, blanking on his name, blanking <laughs> on his name, uh, Paul McGillian. There it is. There it is. Uh, uh, we're we're doing the, the the commentary, and and she pronounced her name Luttrell. So I'm going to go with Luttrell. Yeah, she probably knows how, how to pronounce uses. it. Her- yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, Rachel got, uh, presumably, got Zawadi Productions to write up a mini biography okay. on IMDb. Uh-huh. And it is my duty then, because, you know. That's how that she works. She got them to do, that I have to, re- I, I'm going to read this for her. That's right. Okay. So, here we go. Rachel Luttrell is an accomplished actor and singer who has worked in film, television, and on stage. Uh Rachel Luttrell was born in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, hmm. and is the second born of four daughters of Veronica Makio uh, Shenkundo, Shen, Shenkundi uh, Luttrell, uh-huh. the daughter of a powerful medicine man of the Washambala tribes people, hmm. and uh, William Leon Luttrell Jr. of Bossier City, Louisiana native, and then well-respected professor of economics at the University of Dar es Salaam. Mm-hmm. That was a mouthful. Yes, it was. Good job. Shortly after her fifth birthday, Rachel and her family immigrated to Canada, settling in the cosmopolitan city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. As a child in Toronto, Rachel studied piano at the Royal Conservatory and ballet at the Russian Academy of Classical Ballet. Her father, a former member of both the critically acclaimed Toronto Mendelssohn Choir and the Canadian Opera Company, trained Rachel's soprano voice. Hmm. Later, she studied with other fine vocal coaches. Rachel played the alto saxophone in high school and also studied English horseback riding. As a young girl, Rachel was always hamming it up for the camera and would often entertain guests at her parents' dinner parties by staging self-produced shows with her three sisters, Jillian, Amanda, and Erica. Mm -hmm. The Luttrell House was always full of music and laughter. Everyone sang and most played an instrument. Luttrell landed her first film role while still in high school, playing Billy D. Williams' daughter in the made-for-television movie Courage in 1986, which also starred Sophia Loren. Hmm. From there, Luttrell appeared in commercials and starred on popular Canadian television programs, including the long-running drama Street Legal in 1987, Upon graduating from high school, Luttrell enrolled in the musical theater program at Sheridan College to pursue her passion for dancing, singing, and acting. However, after a year of study, Luttrell felt the call of a more academic education and left the college to pursue a Bachelor of Arts degree in English Literature at the University of Toronto. Mm Mm-hmm. While studying at U of T, she auditioned for the Canadian premiere production of Miss Saigon alongside her older sister Jillian and several hundred other young hopefuls. 
Luttrell and her sister were both cast, and thus she began her musical theater career as a chorus girl and understudy for the lead character of Ellen. Mm -hmm. Luttrell went on to perform in the Canadian premiere production of Walt Disney's Beauty and the Beast, once again with her big sister Gillian, Mm -hmm. and later to star in the American productions of Once on This Island, Goblin Market, and alongside Richard J. Alexander in his workshop musical adaptation of Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 1995, Luttrell moved from Toronto to Los Angeles to continue her and to continue to pursue her career in film and television. She was kept very busy, guest starring on several popular television shows, including ER, Charmed, and in the short-lived but well-received show Sleepwalkers alongside Naomi Watts and Bruce Greenwood. In 2001, Luttrell appeared in Anne Rice's critically acclaimed TV movie, The Feast of All Saints, in which she played Peter Gallagher's on-screen daughter in a cast that also included Forrest Whitaker, Jennifer Balls, and Ossie Davis. Jennifer Beals. I'm sorry. Uh, I My eyes are not as good as they should be. <laughs> uh, I knew that, but I just... Yeah, anyway, Beals. Jennifer Beals. <laughs> I apologize, folks. Later that same year, Luttrell appeared in a small but memorable role in the feature film Imposter, opposite Gary Sinise. Despite all of this success, Luttrell became frustrated with the life of a struggling young actress actress in Hollywood and almost gave it up to pursue architecture at UCLA. Before throwing in the towel, Luttrell auditioned for the British American Drama Academy and won a spot in its prestigious president's group. She spent a glorious summer in Oxford, UK, studying at uh, Beloyal College with some of industry, some of the industry's best directors, teachers, and performers, including Alan Rickman and John Barton, one of the world's most esteemed Shakespearean scholars. When Luttrell returned to Los Angeles, she was cast in the premiere production of Lynn Natage's uh, Las Meninas, uh, earning wonderful reviews. I probably butchered that name, but that's okay. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, Luttrell was cast in the role of Taylor Imogen in Sci-Fi Channel's spin-off series Stargate Atlantis, a show that won the loyalty of a worldwide fan base and ran for five seasons. In 2011, Luttrell completed her first CD titled I Wish I Love You, on which she collaborated with many of the music industry's finest performers, world-renowned percussionist Jeff Hamilton and stand-up bass virtuoso Jennifer Leatham. Among them... The CD was a grand collaborative effort spanning three countries and recorded in part at Legendary Capitol Records in Hollywood. After Stargate Atlantis finished, Luttrell made guest appearances on True Justice and CIS, NCIS Los Angeles, No Sleep Till 18, and Arrow. When not in front of the camera, Luttrell indulges her love of writing, something she has all something that has always brought her great joy and reward. She is at work with her husband, stunt performer, and award-winning cinematographer Lloyd Bateman on several short feature-length films being produced by their production company, Feral Child Productions. Uh Luttrell and Bateman live in Los Angeles with their two children, Caden and Ridley. Uh Uh-huh. Her first IMDb, as mentioned before, (laughs) is that TV movie Courage from 1986, when she played Bobby's daughter. Very good. Okay. Now, we do have some guest actors for this one. 
Uh, we have got Christopher Heidel returning as Halling. We've got Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett. We've got Craig Veroni as Dr. Peter Groden. We say hello to Fiona Hogan, who plays Simpson. Hmm. Uh, she is uh, the doctor, uh, Dr. Simpson uh, in that little think tank group that's trying yeah. to figure out things and, and fighting with uh, Dr. Kavanaugh. Yeah. Uh, she's known for iRobot, Freddy Got Fingered, and Tooth Fairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also appeared in several episodes of the series Magicians, uh, and she did at least one credit with in uh, voice acting for My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Mm-hmm. Her first IMDb is this little indie project thing that called Ghost of a Chance in 1997. Uh, there's... A name on IMDb, and that's as much as is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the name of the place, and then it does have her name, another actor's name, and the director's name, and that's it. Um, so I have no idea what Ghost of a Chance is, other than apparently there's not much of a chance for something to happen. Aha. Uh-huh. And there may be ghosts in there too, because, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, we also have Ben Cotton. He plays Dr. Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, Ponytail, I'm a jerk fan. Yes. Um, he is uh, was born in 1975 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He's known for the Chronicles of Riddick, Atlantis, and Stan Helsing. Uh, <laughs> now, he has over 170 different credits on IMDb. He is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a tremendous actor. Um, we will see Dr. Kavanaugh again. And uh, if you hated him, good. Because so does everybody else. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ben Cotton is, you know, does that role very well. Of course. And it takes a lot of um, uh, strength as an actor to play a character who is so... Bleh, revolting. Revolting. Um, because, you know, yeah, that, that's that's got to be tough. He's reviled. Um, yes, uh, Ben's first IMDb credit came in 1999 in the TV series Beggars and Choosers. He played as an uncredited role, the cable guy, in the episode White Woman's Burden. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and then I want to talk about David Nickel, who plays Dr. Radek Zelenka. Uh, yes. And here I have another mini biography from Anonymous. Oh, that guy again. Yes. Anonymous is back to help us with understanding who David Nickel is. Uh-huh. Uh, Prague-born, Vancouver-raised David Nickel arrived in Canada at age two when his family emigrated from Czechoslovakia after the Soviet-led Warsaw Pact invasion of what was then Czechoslovakia. David started early as an actor in Vancouver, community theater, small TV parts, and classes in dance and music. He graduated University of British Columbia with a major in English literature and theater. Post-graduation, David began appearing in Vancouver theater productions at Bard on the Beach, Pacific Theater, and the Gateway Theater. He soon toured a production of Waiting for Godot to Prague, where he remained for almost a decade, where he co-founded the famous English-language theater company Misery Loves Company, as well as appeared in several local Czech companies such as uh, Divadlo na Zabradli Kaspar and Divadlo vi Luce. Wow. Luce. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, good good work there. All right. And and for those of you who speak Czech and listen to me butcher those names, I apologize. Please correct my pronunciation. Uh, now, since his return to Canada in the late 90s, David has appeared in dozens of film and TV projects, including Stargate Atlantis, Arrow, Supernatural, Fringe, Eureka, Continuum, Tomorrowland, HBO's The Sleepers, and since 2019, Carnival Row. He lives in Vancouver with his family. Um, his first IMDb credit came in the TV miniseries Danger Bay back in 1988 when he, excuse me, when he played Peter in the episode Jan. There you go. Uh, so I first, uh, he, this actor was first brought to my attention in this role with Zelenka. Yeah. Um, and this is not the last time we will see Zelenka. He returns. Okay, um, good. Um, and and he, I think he is probably a beloved character. Uh, people like this character. Um, he uh, does a great job of playing off of Rodney McKay as the series progresses. Yeah, okay, good. Um, and then later I saw him in Arrow, and he plays a very different character. He's a Russian mobster in uh-huh. Arrow. Um, and just the range of this actor is astounding. I think he's just tremendous. Nice. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, the original air date for uh, 38 Minutes was July 30th, which is, of course, the same date that uh, last week's episode, last week for our episode of, uh, was it Zero Hour? Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Zero Hour. Well, yes, that's whatever right. Whatever it was last time. So it's the same. So, you know, they're still listening to the same music, yep. confessions, and dry your eyes. Yep. Still watching the same movies. Yep. And all of that stuff. So. Yep. Trivia for trivia. this episode. Are you ready? Yes. Let's go into it. Beckett makes a reference to the Star Trek franchise with his not-so-good joke about Major Shepard having something of a Klingon. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. So, okay, there, there, I, I had to say that, get it out, because there it is. There it uh, is. This episode is the only episode of SG-1 or Atlantis to actually occur in pretty close to real time. Um, you know, it, it, it's a little bit fuzzy there, but it, yeah. it, you know, I mean, it, so it's not quite a true real-time episode, um, but they had 38 minutes to solve the problem um, and it takes them, you know, 38 minutes to solve the problem. Yep. Um, so there you go. Um, this is also the first episode where the Atlantis Expedition's main flagship team, the Atlantis Reconnaissance One, or AR-1, is in the field and on a mission. And this is the first time that I have ever heard of it called AR-1. So there you go. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is the first time that you... Zach, yes. have you yes. ever heard of it called AR-1? Now, now, maybe that's because my head has been in, you know, a, a, a pit somewhere and I haven't been paying attention to anything and I didn't know. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever, I've never uh, thought of this as being called AR-1 or the Atlantis Reconnaissance Team or anything like that. So, um, but but then I'm what I'm gathering the meta thing that you're not saying is that they don't say AR one much ever again. I, I mean, if they do, I don't re- you remember missed it. it. So yeah. contrast that with SG one team. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, AR one, SG one. I mean, that's the whole general idea. They were trying um, to make AR one a thing, but uh, it doesn't really. Unless I totally missed something, in which case, dear listeners, tell well, me when I missed something. No, wait a minute. No, they don't tell you. 
we we experience it. You Zach, remember like you haven't watched Atlantis nearly as much as you've watched SD One. There's a little bit of you rediscovering this, just like I am for the first time. That's true. It's mm-hmm. less true with his first season because this one I have seen quite a number of times. Okay. Um, and then it gets exponentially fewer uh, as the seasons progress. Yes. Um, so, um, the events of this episode with the crew stranded on a spacecraft being in communication with the ground team trying to f- help them fix it um, does have some uh, allusions to the whole Apollo 13 mission where we have to figure out how to solve this problem using only this stuff, and we only have this much time to do it in. Um, Yep. There you go. Yep. Uh, This episode in other languages is called 38 Minutes. (laughs) You mean the German title isn't, they figure it out? (laughs) Nope, nope. The German title is not, Shepard gets a Klingon and it nearly kills him. Yeah, that that, would have been a confusing one. Yeah, Klingon would, nearly can kill Shepard. A Klingon nearly kills Shepard. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's uh, 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 drei, no, yeah, drei und dreisig und ah, uh, no, no, Achtun und dreisig, dreisig, ah, there it is, there it is. It's been a long time since I've thought about my numbers in German. Uh, it, it's, it's eight and thirty, so yes. it's, it's, okay. it's Achtun und dreisig Minuten. <laughs> and, and for you dear German listeners, I'm very sorry. Good. So good. So good. Shall we uh, enjoy the synopsis of this episode? Yeah. All right, here we go. 38 <laughs> minutes. This won't take 38 minutes, I hope. Do your, do your we, best. You'll be fine. Uh, okay. We got the main team going on an adventure this week. Led by Major John Shepard, the team includes Taylor Imagen, Lieutenant Aiden Ford, and Dr. Rodney McKay. This week, they return to the planet on which they met the Wraith Queen, but when they get to the site of the Wraith Mountain, all they see is a giant crater. The mountain is inverted. Uh Uh-oh. Was the mountain really a Wraith ship that blasted into space? Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, look over there. They left some of the wraith to guard the big giant hole in the ground and harass visitors. Oh, how convenient. Very convenient. Well, it's time to run back to the puddle jumper and get back to Atlantis. On the run back, Shepard runs into some kind of spider web and gets attacked by a creature that we will eventually call the Erratus Bug. Don't worry, Brent. This bug is going to play into other episodes and we'll learn its name then. But that's not much of a spoiler. It's just the Erratus Bug. Trust me. Okay, I, I trust you. There you go. The creature bites into ma- the Major's neck and begins feeding off his life force. This is Sorry. terrible. Yeah, Shepard even runs into one of the Wraith, and when the Wraith sees the bug attached to Shepard's neck, he just walks away, leaving Major for dead. Ford eventually finds the Major to help, and he tries to remove the bug, even shooting it at point-blank range with his handgun, but nothing works. Shepard has been immobilized, and they must carry him back to the jumper. So they do. And they all get back to the jumper. And Shepard, obviously in no condition to fly, has one of the extras do that. This guy is kind of like that student driver who's so scared about what he's doing that he doesn't want to go more than like 10 miles an hour down the highway when everybody else is like going like 55 or 60 miles. And he's like... All of that stuff, right? Yep. So... <laughs> 
So they're 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 trying to get there. The Wraith does manage to get a shot off and damage one of the engines of the pedal jumper. Oh no! But fortunately, this doesn't prevent this pedal jumper from escaping. So on their way into the orbit, slowly and surely, everyone stay in the lines, stay in the lines. Whoa, 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 stay in the lines. Okay, you know you got to make it into the jumper. Can you guys go faster? This guy's dying back here. Okay, but I'm trying not to crash. Okay, go. F- okay, I got uh, and. <laughs> Uh-oh. Boom. Uh-oh. That's not good. That's, that's not good. So, what happened? The puddle jumper's engines did not retract like they were supposed to because they got damaged, and the jumper got wedged in the gate. Stackhouse and Markham are in the cockpit, which is demolecularized inside the wormhole. Ford's hand is still outside the wormhole, so the rest of the team can grab him's hand and pull him back into the compartment. Yay, he's okay. But the jumper is stuck half in the wormhole and half out of the wormhole. And they have less than 38 minutes to solve their problem before the gate deactivates and effectively destroys the ship, killing all the main characters of this brand new TV show. Oh, no. In oh, the third, yes. In the third episode, no less. Indeed. Back on Atlantis, Weir gets a bunch of the eggheads to figure out what they can do. The team includes Dr. Jerky Mick I Have a Ponytail Jerkface, a.k.a. Dr. Kavanaugh, <laughs> Dr. Simpson, Dr. Grodin, and some others. Dr. Zelenka was added to the mix, but he, smartly, goes straight to another puddle jumper to try to figure some of the things out there. Why? Because that's where the team is stuck, and so maybe that's where we should be. He's smart. Kavanaugh is concerned that if something bad happens, an explosion could follow through the gate, destroying Atlantis, and we have to save ourselves. This, however, is deemed unlikely by the rest of the team. And Weir is, to put it mildly, annoyed that this guy wasted several minutes worrying about himself rather than the team stranded on the other side of the gate. Later, Kavanaugh confronts Weir, and she shuts him down, apparently cutting off his privates. Yeah. Uh, quite effectively. Uh, good for her. Um, now, meanwhile, Dr. McKay is poking around the controls of the putter jumble, looking for some way of retracting the engine pods manually from the aft of the ship. While the engineers and the physicists and those folks are working on that problem, Dr. Beckett is on the radio with Taylor and Ford as they work to treat Major Shepard and his Klingon problem. They notice that the creature has a soft underbelly, and Beckett suggests that pouring various substances on it might kill it or disrupt it in such a way that they could get it off of him, kind of like the way you pour salt on a leech to get it to release uh, from yourself. So they try several substances. Uh, everything that they have on board, they try systematically, including iodine. They had no effect, no effect. They try pouring salt on the creature because, you know, didn't Beckett say to pour salt on it? I'm like, okay. So we pour the salt on it. Nothing happens. Then they says, well, let's try some water. And so they pour a little bit of water on it. And this gets a major reaction as the bug tightens its grip on the major. <laughs> Shepard, sufficiently, did not like that. Taylor makes a comment that she believes this creature is related to the Wraith in some fashion, perhaps a prehistoric evolutionary cousin or something of that nature. Shepard is then struck with an idea. He suggests that they use the defibrillator on him. Is it defibrillating now? <laughs> I mean, no, not until No, later. no. 
The shock uh, will stop his heart and perhaps trick the bug into thinking that he's dead. And it may then be able to be removed. Then they can try to shock Shepard's heart back into rhythm. And if that doesn't work, they can toss him through the event horizon and deal with him after they return to Atlantis. <laughs> as good as anything. <laughs> they try it. And lo and behold, it works. Oh, hooray. They get the bug off of his neck. Ford shoots the bug several times. Bang, 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 bang. And Taylor then wraps the corpse of the bug in a jacket. They try to restart the Major's heart. Boom. But that doesn't work on the first try. And so Taylor takes the Major through the event horizon. Now, they just need to retract the engine pods and get back to Atlantis. And we're running out of time to get the job done. As all of this is going on, Zelenka's work is helpful in figuring out how to retract the pods. Kavanaugh is practically useless. Zelenka's work, however, provides McKay the direction he needs to reduce the options from way too many to still too many, but, you know, maybe we can get it done. Uh, remarkably, McKay is successful. He crosses the right plexiglass props and the pods <laughs> retract. Hooray! Chink. Hooray! But wait! They have lost all their inertia. The jumper isn't moving. What are they going to do? Kavanaugh, Mr. McJerky face, I have a ponytail, Mr. whatever I called him before, comes up with an answer. Blow the rear hatch. The explosive decompression will give them the forward momentum needed to get through the wormhole. Ford pushes McKay through the event horizon and prepares to save the day. We see the erratus bug begin to move again. Oh no, it's not dead. What's going to happen? The countdown to the wormhole deactivation is reaching zero. Ford opens the hatch and holds on tightly. We see about five times the amount of air that is in that jumper blast through the hatch. The bug is blown out <laughs> into space. The jumper begins to move. It enters the wormhole. They remolecularize back in Atlantis and the day is saved. Hooray! Hooray! Ford is overall no worse for wear for his brief exposure to the vacuum of space. Shepard needs a little bit more TLC uh, before Beckett then says, hey, your heart's working again, and you'll be fine, too. The end. The end. All right, Brent. Yeah. 38 minutes. Yep. What'd you think? I thought this one was about 35 minutes too long. Oh. <laughs> so, wow. Okay, so let's talk about good things first. All right, so good things. <clears throat> um, I got to know more information about... The Stargate and the Event Horizon and the mechanics of all that, how that works, and um, got to learn a little bit about how uh, how you can get a puddle jumper to to do things from the aft section. And I learned that they have uh, blast doors, um, and I learned that you can blow off the back hatch. Uh, I learned that um, apparently the Wraith have a big uh, mountain-sized spaceship and that there is a bug. That's bad. Uh, I learned that the, uh, uh, that, uh, that, that Taylor's people can't even, do we have, they have a name. What's her name? Athosians. The Athosians. They have a, they have a, they have a, they have a right. They have a, 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 a right of, of, uh, transition, uh, that, uh, was promptly just shut down as hocus Focus. We're here to help save people's lives, you big defeatist. And uh, let's see, what else did I learn? Um, I learned that it is not appropriate to belittle your team quite the way that, that sounds like I'm being facetious and I'm not, um, 
uh, to belittle your team quite the way that uh, Kavanaugh did, because, you know, don't do that. And I also learned that he is uh, uh, definitely thinks very, very highly of him. Um, very true. Yeah. Oh, I learned that you can use a defibrillator to uh, put a person into cardiac arrest and then bring them back with, you know, minimal, minimal impact. Um, let's see here. You know, these are all, this is good that I learned all this stuff. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's yep, good. Yep. All that is um, good stuff. Structure of the show was a complete train wreck. Just a, just a train wreck. It would have been far better for them to not put, uh, they thought that they, I can see that they thought they were going to bury the lead if they didn't have the problem in the in the opener in the cold opener but because of the way that they structured the flashbacks all that was that flashback stuff was just a distraction it was just a distraction either don't like don't worry about trying to show how you got here like if the problem is that your puddle jumper is stuck in a gate and the point of the episode is to is to is to exp- is to explore the tension of that moment uh, you know, along with, you know, some lychee bug thing on his neck. You know what I mean? Like, like, go ahead and let that be the story. You right, don't okay. need to jump it back in time like that. You don't need to be like, well, let me tell you what happened and then do it in a flashback. Like what? That was needlessly chopping up the story. That was that was breaking up the flow uh, pointlessly. It was pointlessly breaking up the flow. Alternatively, you could have buried the lead where like you your cold open is the exploration of the the former site the uh and the ambush and then uh you know the, the you know having this big old bug thing on your on your neck and having a having a having a wraith guard standing over one of our main characters like that would have been pretty tense and then you could have gotten like act one act two act three you could have had three different problems you could have had three different problems and solutions as opposed to kind of mixing it all together into a mush that didn't you know i, I think i would prefer the first one and here's another part of where I think I would have preferred the first one. Just don't worry about trying to show what happened. Just say what happened. It's one of those rare cases where violating the rules okay. Like you don't need to show. Uh, uh, I can't think of anybody's name. Shepard getting the bug to his neck. You know, like you could you could just say yeah, like you were exploring a thing and a bug got him. That's okay, right? And the problem at hand is you're in a spaceship that's cut in half. Basically, how are you going to get yourself right. out of that? Uh, I'm reminded of a movie buried. It's intense, man. Woo wee. But um, if I remember right, I don't think I I can't recall if there were any other actors other than one. It's a two hour movie. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure that there are no other sets other than the actor inside a box. That's it. That's the whole movie. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's so good. And terrifying so you know go into it with your eyes open but um yeah it was an entire movie in a bottle and it worked great you could have done a show in a bottle here right you've got to come up with 43 minutes of content and you could absolutely have the whole thing feel claustrophobic you don't need to have the flashbacks you don't need to cut back to the base you don't need to no how about we have a show an episode where we see the four title characters you know, well, four of the five title characters interacting with each other in an extremely tense situation. How about we have a show where we start to see how they begin to gel as a team, right? It's that it's that problem that we all run into. Those of us who play tabletop games, especially when we're bringing in uh, not all. It's especially hard if you're bringing in players who have never played before. 
Mm-hmm. Like what motivation do the characters have for liking each other? And so you you make something up and everybody's playing along and you, you know it's fine. It's fine. It works out fine. But the best ones are ones where they actually don't have motivation to work together, but you create a reason and it happens to work well. And, you, you know, so you put a lot of effort into trying to tell that story of why these characters are going to start caring about each other. Well, let, here we here we go. Here's a great opportunity to start having these characters care about each other. Go ahead and introduce their flaws. Go ahead and introduce their strengths. Have them discover that their strengths are complementary. Have them discover that their flaws can be overlooked. You know what I mean? Like, go ahead and start building it up. And you've got yourself a really compelling episode right there. But the way this is. I mean, this is this is like this is like runny mashed potatoes with no seasoning. It's just like, <laughs> like what is this? Like this, it doesn't have any cohesion to it. It doesn't really tell a particular story other than like I mentioned, and it doesn't do that very well. It does show a lot of information. There's a ton of information in this episode. There's a lot of techno babble, tons of it, but it was just so weirdly done that it was just kind of eh, all right. And of course, they you know like like. I'm sorry, but I'm kind of done with the whole, like, is the title character going to live? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even how are they going to get out of this one? It was like the tension of is his heart going to restart was like literally 60 seconds of wasted time. Like, like, what was that about? And then I'm not even getting to the problem of the episode. You want, you want, you want me to get into the problem of this episode, Zach? Oh, please do. I, I am all ears. What the heck? is a international diplomacy expert doing shutting down the very, very important uh, uh, rights that the culture has when faced with death because you don't want to give a bunch of people some bad news? That was not believable in the least. And then that last, like, knowing nod that she gave was patriarchal. That was garbage. So I'm going to throw that whole thing out of my head. That didn't happen because that is damaging to the character of Weir. And it is completely dismissive of what it was obviously supposed to be kind of an important little tension point. But it was done so poorly as to be just like laughable. Like it's reminding me of SG-1's early seasons when they would bring in some little cultural thing and then hand hand it and then like walk away from the thing. Like, no. If you have a group of people who are not from Earth and they say to you, we have this extremely important right in our culture, you don't go and say, well, I don't want to give my team the impression that things might not go well. You're, you're going to have to wait, mister, and, and maybe not even get to it at all. No, you don't. You say, yeah, you're right. They might not get out of this one. I'm sure your culture has also accepted the fact that sometimes you think you're going to die and you don't so that you clearly have figured this part into it. I trust you person other than me that you know what you are talking about more than I know what you're talking about and just let them do the thing. Right? Like it's not, it's like, it's like, yeah. Do you think that your team on the other side are like unaware that there's a risk? There's a whole joke about about how McKay can't handle that kind of information, how he kind of goes off, right? They all know it's okay for you to... Do. Now, on the other hand of it, it also seemed a little bit weird that Taylor was like not talking about that or not trying to do something about that, right? Like if... And then, and then if she's not talking about it or trying to bring it up, 
then what was the point of having that scene in the middle there? Like, why even bring that thing in there? So, so not only that would do we be have my point right there. The flashbacks I mean, yeah. are kind of like you know what's going on with that. The scene itself is like, what did this do other than just make Brent mad? Um, yeah, and so yeah, so I mean, I bring it back to my point of like there was a whole lot of information and I'm glad for the information and it was visually appealing and hooray. And I still haven't yet quite gotten to, I haven't got to the point where I enjoy the characters and their camaraderie, assuming that I get there. But so, I mean, I'm kind of feeling like this is a season one SG one episode where it's like, yeah, they, they tried to say something and it screwed up. And, and so now I'm yelling in my mic. So yeah, not feeling that great about this one. How about you, Zach? what do you think about this? One? Well, um, I don't think I, uh, I, I'm not quite so harsh on this episode as you are. Um, that's not to say that I am in love with this episode. Sure. Um, this time around watching it, um, I felt the, um, I felt the, the attempt at building tension more than in previous times watching this episode. Okay. Um, that is to say, um, you know, if I just kind of sit back and ride with it, um, and you know, I mean, the 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 tight space, the tension in there, um, I can buy it. Now, when I when I blink, and I'm like, okay, so this is the third or fourth episode of a TV series, and you're saying now all of the main characters are in peril of dying, and one of them is especially imperiled in dying. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I am absolutely finished, done, kaput. <laughs> Never do this again. Ever. It's pointless. Never. It's pointless. Never imperil your starring characters in the fourth episode of a series unless you're actually playing to kill them. Yeah. Angel does that, right? Angel has yeah. a title character that in the fifth or sixth episode dies. Yeah. And then at that point in time, that character ceases to be in the title credits, um, yep. which was absolutely shocking because at that point in time, they had two people in the title credits, yeah. David Boreanaz and this other guy, who David Boreanaz plays Angel, and this other guy, and the other guy dies. Yeah. Um, so unless you're going to do that, don't. Just, just, just don't do it. Yep. Find a different way to bring peril. And, and it's okay to bring that kind of mort mortal peril, but we all know they're going to make it. So make the the making it interesting, right? We all know they're going to live. Make well, so like, how you so like, get there intriguing. I mean, honestly, 95% of the time, you can just skip the mortal peril early on. Oh, right? I agree. I'm, I'm know, in I mean, agreement. You know, I mean, find find other ways of of peril. Um you know, because yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, to to talk about uh, um, hauling and the Athosians coming, um, I hear what you're saying about Weir's dismissive quality to that, um, and and you're not wrong. Um, my issue is that I mean, it's kind of a meta story right here, but but. If this was such a big deal, mm -hmm. then Taylor would also be saying something. Right. At least a line that says, um, I'm, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to die now, then I need to do this ritual. Yep. Or simply says, we have this ritual, 
but I trust that we can get through this. Something. S- something. <laughs> um, uh, because otherwise, what I mean, what we have is Holling, as a representative of the Athosians, uh, saying what Taylor needs to do because this is what Holling believes is appropriate for Taylor. And since we have nothing from Taylor saying this is important to her, at least in this moment, we have that dynamic going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, it, I, that doesn't... I it's just like, ugh, okay. I, I'm ready to move on from that. Yep. Um, I, I love the character of Zelenka, and we meet the character of Zelenka in this episode. Um, and you can see him working... And he is clearly as capable uh, as as McKay in this episode, mm-hmm. um, which is just delightful to see. And then I know now, uh, and now I'll spoil for you, that as the season in the series progresses, Zelenka and McKay are going to, um, their dynamic is going to be played. You, yeah. We're going to see that. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, uh, in... in both uh, adversarial and um, helpful ways, mm-hmm. um, which is delightful. And I get to meet him for the first time in this episode, which is awesome. Um, uh, you know, the Erratus bug, learning that it's connected to the Wraith is is neat. It just kind of adds just a little bit of uh, mythos to the series, stick, which is yeah, good. Stick a, stick a pin in that one. I want to come back to that, but yeah, carry on. Um, I mean, at this point in time, we don't really know what that mythos is, um, but we just add another layer of something. So the wraith didn't just appear out of nowhere. They right. of course. came from something. Yep. Um, and so the question at this point in time is, well, okay, that's interesting. How does the erratus bug and the wraith uh, relate to each other? Right. Um, and will that help us in any way of navigating this problem? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this episode doesn't go into any of that, but it sets it just it places that onto the board of things that you can manipulate, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, I thought the acting overall was really pretty good. Um, oh yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, you know, uh, the the story is what it is. Um, that that's that's really all I have to. To say. <laughs> Can I go back to my pin? Yes, please do. Uh, the pin. Um, I'm I'm a hundred percent willing to uh to drink the Kool Aid that the Erratus bug and the Wraith are are evolutionarily connected. Hundred. I am absolutely willing to be like, yep, okie dokie. I can do yep. this. Okay. It implies though that uh, self healing is a widespread trait. Uh. You and I are, uh, you know, we share shocking amounts of similar DNA uh, structures to many things on Earth that have nothing to do with people. And um, and therefore, some of the most baseline things across living creatures tend to be similar and the same. And, 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 you know, like that. And when I'm saying baseline, I mean, I'm talking real baseline, like the use of carbon. <laughs> <laughs> in its own okay. structures, right? I mean, like proteins, like, you know, like we're talking real low level stuff here. Um, 
And so that implies that self-healing is a real low-level thing for the creatures of this galaxy, or at least this 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 area, this section or whatever. And I'm still okay with that. But if we don't then, like, if, if the only things that are self-healing are this bug and the wraith, and the wraith naturally evolved into self-healing, then I've got a bit of a problem. If what they did, though, is that they found this self-healing bug, and they... F- did things, figured it out, folded in their DNA, whatever. Right? You know, if they if they technologically manipulated it so that they also had self healing, great. Okay, problem solved. I'm just acknowledging though that if if what McKay offhandedly said of well they had to come from somewhere is accurate, which again I'm fine with, that implies that lots of things have self healing capability, and I'm not sure if they're going to do that or not. So you can't say anything one way or the other, Zach. I'm sorry for saying yet more and more thing. Everybody who's watched it before, yeah. they 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 either know that I'm right or that I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Like there you go. Um, so I can say that I remember that there are episodes in the future that address questions of the evolution of the wraith. Okay, good. Um, within the context of those episodes, the Erratus bug plays some kind of role. Yep. I can remember that, and I can say that without spoiling anything. Good. Um, I mean, I'm glad that we're going to get there. I, and I was I just sort of... I, I can honestly, I can't tell you because I don't remember. <laughs> uh, See, isn't it the, fun the specifics of how yeah. that works? Yeah, you can remain spoiler free if you don't remember things. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah, I, I, that's the pin though. Is that you know like. I, that's a cool concept. That's a super cool concept. It's a little, it's a little tricky. Like it kind of implies some things and that implication would be neat, but that implication is kind of big. Like it kind of implies that just about everything that you're going to run into is going to have self-healing capabilities. That's a thing. Or it implies that the Wraith have technologically folded that in, which is also fine. That's fine. That's cool. That would be a fun story too. But yeah, you know, you, as you're sort of going through all this stuff, I'm glad to hear that there's this character that you like that got introduced. That's cool. The acting was fine. The lighting was fine. It was shot well. You know what I mean? It was it was pretty. It was it was all of this stuff was good. And the directing wasn't even that bad. It was really the 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 story. And it was definitely the choice of how the story was told. So that's a little bit of directing there. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe the storyboard did say, you know, and you tell it in flashback and the director was like, yeah, okay, sure. And, you know, so they did it. I thought mm-hmm. that was a terrible choice. Um, I also didn't like how much time we spent away from the ship. I think that was a, dis- I think that was distracting. Um, yeah, the outside team provided information that helped save our heroes, but none of what the outside team provided was anything that the inside heroes couldn't have figured out with one big exception, which was that McKay was McKay was st- struck with a one in a million thing that got whittled down to one in a thousand because of some outside, you know, like that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, most of the tension outside back in Atlanta, back in Atlantis had everything to do with, uh, 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 two different versions of questioning um, Weir's command. You got the jerk face in a ponytail and you yep. got the kindly person who just wants a right done. Like that was it. Other than that, we had uh, Zelchenko or Zelchenka or whatever. Zelenka. Uh, Zelenka. Um, you know, figuring out a big thing. That was a big thing. But I mean, I don't know. Like, you could, you could have had that radioed in. Like, you don't have to have your ship in a bottle 
episode without having access to Atlantis. You could have the radio connection. That's okay, mm-hmm. right? But from a television story, it would have been so much more effective to keep it claustrophobic, keep it uncomfortable. You would have been able to keep the tension in the story by keeping it in the ship. And then when the sh- and then when the when the time was ticking down and all these things kind of came together, uh, you know, you could have every single point that happened. You could have every single solution occur, and you could even do it like cinema. What is, what, how does, what's the French phrase? Cinema vitae. Um, it's the you know where like where you have it be a thirty eight yeah. minute episode, yep, yep. and it's just it and 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 yeah, you do have to rely heavily on your actors there. You really do. Yeah, you do have to really carefully go over your story because like every second needs to count. You can't you can't mail in anything. If you're going to have a long pause with no dialogue, that's okay. It better be on a on a phrase that just keeps echoing in your viewer's mind over and over and building the tension. Like it's okay, you can do it. It's it's, it's this is a thing that can be done. So do it. And then you can have that just sweet just sweet release of the solution and the re- and the and, and and the heroism and and everything working out you could even probably get away with you know a little bit of false tension in is shepherd's heart going to start over again because i mean if you if you built it up enough it, it, you know it, you'll have this irrational fear that maybe they will kill off shepherd even though you know what i mean like you know you you can get away with that sure, but you yep. don't have the ability to do that if you keep releasing the tension by leaving the scene Right. If you're if you're if you're going someplace else for a breath of fresh air, even though what that fresh air is doing is is introducing a different like set of problems or whatever. And, you you know, what I mean, like and you're going in a flashback, which none of the tension of the flashback matters at all. Flashback tension doesn't exist because flashbacks, by definition, happened before. And you already know where your characters are. So showing what happened before the best use of a flashback is an exposition in the form of like mystery. How did it happen? I don't know. Who cares? He's got a bug so, on his neck. That's not the, the problem. The problem the is a problem, but the flashback. I think in this situation, like I didn't have as much problems with the flashback as you are. But as you're talking about, I, I'm kind of processing it again, right? Right. Um. And and you're right that when we flashback and when we go to Atlantis, the tension is uh, released. Yep. Um, eased. Eased at least. At eased, you know. Um. But I think the the flashbacks could have been um uh done in such a way to to show what happened and still kept the tension basically by keeping them short right the flashbacks were like oh yeah yeah you know so like like if 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 uh you know the the wraith comes and sees uh shepherd and then walks away you could do that in a second and a half or yep. two seconds yep right you just see him you, you flash you look at it and then you see him and then you see him walk away just like boom boom and just two little cuts of just move here move there and then you're like oh my gosh what's going on um the the tension of of uh ford shooting the bug that could have been done um, you know, we saw him line up the shot, and he's careful. He's careful, and then, and then, and then, and then, bang! Ah, yeah. right. That could have just been like a, uh, you know, just gun bang. Ah, that would have been enough. Yeah. Uh, those you shorten those up, tighten those up. 
Uh, you could cut the whole Holling scene out. It doesn't matter. Not that I'm, I love Christopher Heyerdahl. I think I, I, he's I'm a great you. actor. Yeah. And yep. actually, the character is a good character. I like the character. Um, and he does a good job of fleshing out the Athosians in a way that Taylor can't. Um, or maybe that Kaylee isn't. Taylor isn't. I don't know if she can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it doesn't matter to the story. Because it's not an issue for Taylor. I think I think you could have redone this story and you could have kept a lot of these elements in there if you had redone the focus on it. So, again, flashback, but use it as a memory. Like, uh, uh, do that thing where the flash, you, you focus in on the character, the character gets a particular look on their face. You flash back to something and it's very clearly them remembering a thing. And so what you're doing is that you were showing us what is on their mind. And you can still have yeah. the same things where what's on Shepard's mind right now, the fact that the Wraith dude walked away, like on his mind right now is that this bug is is is, is, is it, he's as good as dead because that guy literally just walked away, right? That could be mm-hmm. on his mind. And there you go. There's some information. There's tension. What's on uh, Ford's mind? The fact that he even tried shooting the gun, shooting the bug off of the person's neck and it didn't work. That could be on his mind. Like, like eating away at him. Like, like if that doesn't work, well, what can we do? What can be on Taylor's mind? So don't have the scene of hauling going up the staircase. We have this ritual. Have the scene of hauling conducting conducting the ritual or doing something like that, right? So you still have the information of there's this important ritual within the society and you still have Hauling doing his thing and you still have the level of importance, but what you don't have is it getting unceremoniously shot down by somebody who can't bear the thought of telling a bunch of people the truth, right? Like that one didn't work. You can right. still have all of these things occurring, meaning you still have one of the things that was crossing my mind was that this, uh, one, this again, it feels like an episode that, um, maybe was written like a bottle episode and then they realized they couldn't get 43 minutes of television out of it. And so they kept expanding it. Mm. So they brought Atlantis back in and then they brought the flashbacks in and then they brought this tension moment in of culture. And then they had 43 minutes of TV, right? Plus another minute of, of, uh, of, of, of needless defibrillation (laughs) exercise at the end, right? Okay. Now we've got 43 minutes of television. Let's go, let's put it in the can. I, I think part of what was going on, and this is something that makes um, Atlantis different than SG-1. Uh, in SG-1, we have Hammond, who is the leader of the base. Yeah. And he's certainly a title character, and he's important, and all of that stuff. But the story never revolves around Hammond. Yes. With with, with a few exceptions. Yeah. The story never revolves around Hammond. Um. Atlantis is different yeah. in that Weir plays a much more important role to the story of Atlantis. She's not simply the commander of the base or the governor of the city. She's Dr. Weir, who yeah. is in charge of this whole darn thing. Um, and what that does, so like in SG-1, you can have the bottle episode and have O'Neill and Carter and Daniel and Teal'c in a spot and ignore and forget about Hammond and everything else at the SGC. And they've done that. We've had those episodes. Um, But in this series, uh, especially early on at the very least, um, there, you know, there, there's this sense that Weir needs to get her time on screen. Yeah. And all of these things are added so that Weir can have her time on screen. Now, 
does it actually help the story of this episode? Eh, but it, there it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm still thinking of creative ways you can get her time on screen, you know, and still keep it a bottle episode. You know, sure. like there there was the communication. Yes, it was all done over radio, but like who's to say that they didn't have a little like Melpy type screeny thingy, whatever, you know, like you can have you can have your title character seen in the show. You can have an aspect of the tension being that she's not there. Right. Like, yeah. like that's OK, too. Like it, it, I, I'm just being I'm being critical first off because I can afford to be. I wasn't the one who wrote this. Um but secondly, because we've seen examples of these types of stories done and, and it's 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 a little frustrating because surely people who are in television also have seen these stories that we're that we're thinking about. And it's not copying when you're like what you're doing is that you're using it's as much copying as a, as a musical composer who is using like established like phrases musical phrases or chord structure would be copying from one song like there's a point where it becomes copying but this isn't it it's not like you know you you have the structure you have these things you 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 purposefully keep the focus here like this to elicit this emotion right you're talking about the techniques versus the content yeah uh the, the how do i tell this story not what is the story that i'm telling that's right the story is you've got people who are trapped in an impossible situation. So keep the story about the trapped thing. <laughs> like <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead and tell a story about people being trapped and go ahead and use it as a device to have those people come closer together. That's great. That would be a wonderful third episode. Like now I've got title characters who've been through a thing and I've been through it with them so that when they show on screen chemistry, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course they like each other. They just went through that. Right. Yep. It'd have been great. Anyway. All right. All right. Well, it is that time. Yeah. Now, Brent, we have been critical. We have uh, rewrote the episode in many ways. Yes, we have. Um, <laughs> we have talked about how it could be better or worse uh and done all that but it is now time to settle things up yep and give this episode a chevron rating yeah so where do you put 38 minutes yeah uh, i i i am genuinely happy with the information and i'm, I'm not I'm not kidding on that one i like star trek for the techno babble amongst other things i do and so I did get some techno babbly business on this one. Lots of information about the science, the, the 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 technology, the fictional technology being used here. That's great. And I am truly going to like headcanon my way through a few of these things to let to give the show the benefit of the doubt when the characters need to be gelling. And I don't think we're quite there yet. But, you know, like I definitely do want to. So, for example, like, you know, hauling, getting shut down. I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen. That 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 doesn't seem like a thing that an international peace broker <laughs> would do. Like It's like that seems like a rookie mistake. Um, So but all that said, I'm not going to ignore what I think are some of the glaring issues that could have been fixed. Uh, It's it's the story construction. Um, and so this wasn't a particularly enjoyable one. If it came on again, I'd be like, oh gosh, this one, if I had to watch it over again, I would be a grump about it. Um, so, you know, all that said, that's a three out of seven for me. Like it's, it's, it, there are good parts about it. There there's good things and I like the good things. And in my opinion, 
I have strong opinion. There are parts that they could have done so much better, but they didn't. So, no, you're not going to get that high of a rating out of me. Three out of seven. <laughs> okay. What about you? What do you think? So, I'm not quite as um, harsh on this episode um, as you are. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I felt the tension more this time than I have in other times. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, I guess, so this is part of my critique overall of Atlantis in the first season, um, is that it feels kind of like they're trying to do Stargate SG-1 in a different galaxy. Yeah. And they're not quite sure how to do that because you don't have the same characters. Yep. And so it just kind of feels uh, stilted. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I'm at with this episode. Um, but I don't think it's quite as bad as where you're going to go with it. So where does that land for me? Well, it's not awesome. It's just it's just a four. It's just kind of in the middle. Yep. It's a meh. It's it's a middling episode for me. Yep. All Makes right. Sense. Uh, we have predictions. Yeah. I'm going to go over to the Twitters here. All right. I got one. As you go up to the Twitters. I am going to go to the Facebooks. Got one here. We got Kevin. All right. Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He says, hi, Brent. Hi, hi Zach. Brent. Mr. Musk wanted me to remind you it's time for his hourly foot washing. Mm. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm overdue. 38 minutes, space drama. It's a space drama. I predict an enjoyable watching experience. Ooh, oh, no, 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 no. I had a very poor time with this thing. <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, he doesn't give anything else than that. It's Kevin, I, think, I suppose Kevin will probably give us more detail on Facebook, but that's uh, that's where we're at. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks for writing in. All right. Uh, we have Sean on Facebook. Hi, Sean. Bugs! The height of TV has returned. <laughs> you see, if we're, if uh, if uh, Shepard had been encased in some webbing, uh, I pro- and if you had a street punk, I probably would have given it a seven. Alas, we don't have a little kid street punk. Nope. Uh, Sean continues. Certainly a budget-saving episode, but a good one nonetheless. Rodney mm. was quick to jump to the conclusion that it's the wings sticking out that caused the problem. I had a lot of wormhole physics questions, but Rodney already answered most of them. Here's one, though. They closed the bulkhead doors. Air will start leaking out to space when the Stargate shuts off. When is their current air? Where is their current air coming from? Obviously, it's being generated quickly enough in the rear section of the ship at present. Huh. Yeah, that's a legit I, question. I I assumed that the like carbon dioxide scrubbing either was happening, as you say, or yep. it wasn't, and that was an additional time factor. But it was longer than thirty eight minutes. Like they would run <laughs> out of oxygen at some point, but they wouldn't have to worry about that when the wormhole shut off. Because right. of other problems. Uh, why didn't Taylor, why didn't they get Taylor's father on the radio to see if he knew how to remove the bug? Oh, that's a, well. I think Taylor's father's dead, but that's beside. I think, but you know, but yeah. The- All right. Uh, whilst Kevin, while whilst Kavanaugh had bad timing confronting Doctor Weir, he wasn't wrong to point out the potential of an explosion following through the gate. Yes, I feel like he's being made a bad guy for plot for redemption later. I've not seen these since they first aired. Since they first aired, so I don't actually remember. So, the issue at hand with that, you're right. It's knowing that that's a theoretical possibility 
Um, for me, the issue is not as much what he says, but how he says it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, context matters. Um, and the way one talks matters. We had that conversation about uh, Weir and Holling, right? What, what uh, uh, Weir said and the decision that she made resulting in that is not necessarily wrong. Um, you know, her position was that I am not going to tell those people that they're going to die um, because I need to focus on something else and they need to focus on something else. So that by itself is not wrong, mm-hmm. but she didn't necessarily do it in the best way possible. And we didn't really talk about that particular scene. I rolled my eyes hard when the character decided to make it about his junk. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it was like, nah, nah, dude, nah, no. Now, I mean, and, and yeah. you know, honestly, um, if if he had left it at that, if he had said, hey, I think this, okay, what does everybody else think? You think it's minimal? Okay, well, we have 28 minutes to go, so let's just move on. Um, yeah, he, and then was, he came back and made it a big deal. Yeah, and, and he was trying to make the big deal about uh, about authority, which is why I kept sort of like like viewing those, those conflicts as a conflict of, does Weir have the authority to be calling the shots? Because this, this is the thing that keeps coming up over and again with, in this episode and then elsewhere. Right. And... And this one was just this, was just, this was just kind of dumb. Like, like he he he's a if if a person actually behaved like Kavanaugh, that is worthy of being derided. Like, it's just terrible. If we want to go at a realism thing, like again, like I'm choosing to ignore, we are dismissing Holland. Would Kavanaugh have done it quite like that? Probably not. Like he probably would have been passionate about something, but yeah, a good leader would listen to the team and like, and, and then also understand the risks in total, bring everything to the table. And then a decision is made and you go like, yep. <laughs> you don't have time to dither. Um, Sean continues. The yes. left side of the defibrillator goes under your heart, not on your waist. That's good to know. <laughs> but that's only if you want to actually have it work. Oh, <laughs> It might look cool and add to the drama, but rubbing the defibrillator paddles together will do nothing but damage the device. Ah. Ah, see, there you go. Yeah. Um, Why is the medical team waiting in the jumper room and not in the gate room? That's a good question. I had that same question. Okay, this guy's heart is not working right now, and we're going to wait for the ship to get out of the gate room, up into the hangar bay before we deal with it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't actually know where they were. That's how disconnected that moment was. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. Okay, I believe yeah. they're on Atlantis. I don't know where they are. Uh, this episode gets a five from Sean, and he predicts a five from Brent and a four mm. and a half from Zach. Close to you, but not even close for me. I mean, not that far. Nope, not quite. Uh, and then he says, P.S., the opening of the podcast, what is it? It's your future. Can we get a different one for Atlantis? Mm, maybe. Oh, that, that That is a possibility. I'll have to think about what that might be. Yeah. Um. So we'll worry about that. But you see, you see, but you see here, Sean, it's a metaphor. Is it a metaphor or is it a simile? No, it's a metaphor. Okay. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of Zach talking to me. Ah, it's a, yeah. it's, what is it? It's a Stargate. It's your future. So, well, I, I will certainly consider that and I make <laughs> zero promises on anything. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So Jen, Jen says, Hi, Jen. 
I believe, if I recall correctly, Jen is watching this for the first time as well with us. I think that's correct, yes. Uh, Jen says, oh, a cold open. This is actually a good one. The puddle jumper is stuck in the Stargate mid-transfer. Oh, no, Shepard is hurt. Double oh, no. Mm -hmm. He's got a bug-like thing stuck to his neck. Well, that means two extra chevrons, at least from Brent. (laughs) (laughs) So far, his condition is not good, but he's also not turning into a swarm of bugs uh, yet. Uh, Our heroes have little time left until the Stargate shuts off and, well, gruesome death awaits them. The whole episode spans across 38 minutes with some flashbacks to give a sense to the cold open. Dr. Weir has to face difficult decisions and has to assert herself as commander of the base. The confrontation between Weir and Kavanaugh was a very realistic reminder of what it can be like to be a female in leadership. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And my criticisms of it were I'm being really careful here not to imply that it doesn't happen. Not saying that I'm 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 acknowledging that if Kavanaugh, a character, st- d- acted like that, that is completely stupid and ridiculous and needs to be just shut down so hard. Or I'm doing some loosey goosey headcanon because they're still trying to find their feet. But in no way am I saying that that doesn't happen because it does. Yeah. Uh, she continues the way he tried to dominate her in speech in gestures and mimicry left a bitter taste and brought up unpleasant memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. Uh, who doesn't love to be eyed down like that? Shudder. Yeah. yeah. I'm not 100% sure what... Uh, I'm not 100% sure about what they did to Shepard's heart, but a defibrillator usually restarts the sinus rhythm of the heart and does not stop it. Right. From unpleasant personal experience, I can say that to have a heart stopped... You would need to be injected with adenosine, which stops the heartbeat, and then would be defibrillated if your heart doesn't come back by itself. Um, eh. I mean, yep. I, I, yeah, I thought I honestly thought that what they were going to do was like some chewed up chocolate was going to be the thing that did the bug in. That I think would have been it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Uh, she continues. The episode really got me hooked. I put my phone away, and I wanted to know how all this would play out. Heroes don't die. Well, at least not that early into the season. So I just wanted to know. So I just wanted to know how they will get out of this pickle. Mm-hmm. The resolution felt a bit cheap, but in the end, I don't mind. That's a six out of eight chevrons for me. Mm. I'm more than happy that this episode finally clicked. Zach will give this five and a half, and Brent will give this a bug-infected booster with six. So if uh, so, so what did Jen say that bugs give it an automatic plus two? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if it's six, then 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 Jen thinks I would be at a four, which is close. It is close. Yes. Um, do you like how I did that really creative math there? Because otherwise, uh, no, it's not. It's not close at all. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we have Justin. Hi, Justin. This time on Stargate Practical Effects Edition, a very suggestive opening and subsequent equally suggestive establishing shots of the phallic jumper. There is also a plastic glowing bug with a water bladder and hinge hung around the neck of Lieutenant uh, Major (laughs) Slab Bulkhead. Yep. (laughs) I enjoyed that we only ever saw it from the right side, and once it was off, Taylor quickly hides it from the camera because if a point-blank 9mm can kill it, a cloth jacket will definitely contain it. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, when Dr. Snarky McKennock gets panicky, give him chocolate so he can keep taking readings 18 inches to the left. Yeah. <laughs> back and to the left. Back and to the left. There uh-huh. you go. Dr. Yep. Ponytail Otaku is the needy middle child with a fragile ego. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if instead of relationship skills, he learned the blade. And I don't want to know what his personal item was, although his solution to save the day could be interpreted as blow it out your rear. Oh, man. Scathing. Nice. The telegraph conference with Dr. Scotty and Lieutenant Punt Speed Chunk was scientifically unscientific, but that's okay. We can kill Major Slab Bulkhead with a stowaway defibrillator and throw him into the Fo- the facts buffer for later retreat. <laughs> it'll, it'll work out fine. Um, He says three spiky chevrons, and he predicts three from you and three Ooh. from me. Oh, ho, ho. very close. Very, very close. Uh, We have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. What's the range on the DHD? I've got a big issue to take care of. Bugs? It's Spain 2.0. Brent loves it. End of story. <laughs> so he, he, he continues. Carry, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to defend Bane, but you know, all right, never mind. Can can you guess what I did watching this episode that was definitely longer than 38 minutes? If you guessed I took notes, you were right. Here they are. <laughs> the jumper appears to be moving awfully slow. I know they need to get all the dialogue done before they enter the gate, but come on, you've got a medical emergency. Make it look like the jumper is rushing, not taking right. a leisurely stroll. Now, that actually has plot reasons why that's happening. Number yes. Two, no matter how many that's times cool. I see it, it's always cool to see something only halfway through the gate. That is kind of sure. cool. That's kind of yeah. cool. Number, four, number three, Ford being halfway through the event horizon raises so many issues. What happens if you stick just your head in? What do you see? And as soon as he came out, he seems to be aware of what had just happened. Yep, okay, all of those true. Number four. We kind of have an answer to that, sort of, in the movie. Kind of. Uh, I, I think anything we see in the movie is uh, affects creativity and not, like, what actually happens. I mean, I'm just saying, he opened his eyes and all of a sudden he went through the wormhole, that's all. Ah, so, so you don't go through the wormhole until you open your... That's right, so maybe Ford never had his eyes open. Ah, well, I suppose that's true. Um... Number four, I want to take Kavanaugh's ponytail, cut it off, and shove it down his throat to <laughs> drown out the noise of his whining. <laughs> you are not alone on that, Kevin. <sighs> Number five, so if this creature doesn't like salt water and really is related to the wraith, then all they need to do is get some super soakers. They can borrow teal's from the Bane episode, Wait fill a it minute. with the ocean water all around them, and go to town on the wraith. Problem solved. Is that why the Wraith don't even bother with Atlantis right now? Because in the middle of an ocean? <gasps> oh, is that why they it. sunk the city in the first place? <gasps> oh, man. Uh, Talk about an easy win. Yep. All right. Number six. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to cut slash rip a shirt open like they do in the movies, but working in IT, the opportunity has not arisen. At least not yet. Well, Although, you, just, you just keep ITing the IT, IT stuff, hey, and eventually you, you'll get a chance to tear somebody's shirt. Just get buy a pair of those scissors, and then the next time that you got to do uh, cabling, uh, cable management, then then you just look at it and that rat's nest, and then you go, I can't do it like this. It's too restricting. And then you just cut your shirt, and then you meticulously take yep. out cables and bundle them. And, but then it looks so good after it's done. Am I right? 
I mean, I'm right. Sure. If you know, you know. It, it, uh, you know, definitely. Uh, he continues, <laughs> I like this episode, a fun story with some possible lore, and it's a good reintroduction for people just joining the series and helps establish Rodney's skill and ability to save the date right in time. I take it that these are spoilery uh, things, uh, I, I, or might be spoilery things. Yeah, so so we've had some pretty good episodes lately. What's next on the list? Uh, something, something. Uh, this episode here, he's going to predict a six from me and a five from you. We'll see you next week. Not quite. Not not quite. Not quite. Not Bane. quite. Uh, and then we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, "Oh no, Major Shepard is in peril. That is one nasty-looking tech." Never fear, his trusty team will get him back to Atlantis, and Dr. Beckett will have that thing off him in no time. No time. Unless the puddle jumper gets stuck halfway through the puddle, that is. They can't go forward. They can't go back. They can't do the hokey pokey or turn around themselves around. <laughs> How big of a problem can this be? A big, big one, according to McKay, involving physics and ticking clocks. Have you considered getting out and pushing? We've got some new characters working on the problem, including Dr. Zelenka, who is about as smart as McKay, but not nearly as obnoxious, and Dr. Kavanaugh, who may be more obnoxious than McKay ever was. Mm. It's a safe bet that the show won't kill off four of its five main cast in the fourth episode, but it's still a recipe for some great drama. Brett will give it a six, unless Mm. one of his thruster pods snags on a physics-related pothole, and Zach will give it a five and a half. This episode has an IMDb rating of 7.6, which is four chevrons, putting them in the putting it in the bottom half of Stargate episodes over. Yep, yep. Nope. Sorry, Ron. A little off. Sorry. Yep. Hey, you know, uh, I I you know was right there with uh, the average, the IMDb stuff. Yeah. There you go. Um, I do have a couple of emails. Okay. The first one comes from Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. She says, Greetings, Brent and Zach. I enjoy this episode. It takes a mm. concept imported from SG-1 and tells a story where knowing the laws of wormhole physics doesn't give away the ending. We get a lot from Ford this week, and we meet Zelenka, who is the best. No, really, he gets right to work solving the problem without prioritizing his ego, like Kavanaugh, or needing others to do his emotional labor, like McKay. I bet Kavanaugh was created so that McKay's behavior wasn't the absolute worst in the show. <laughs> quick, quick. We need to siphon off some of that terribleness. I know. Give it to the ponytail. <laughs> Never mind that wormhole physics can be timey-wimey under non-relativistic conditions, uh-huh. too. Yes. Also yeah. ignore the fact that the Guawuld slash Tokra are two creatures fused together, and they have no problems with gate travel. Yeah, I didn't have a problem like that. Shepard's problem needs to be solved first, so the tension of the ship stuck in the gate ramps up until the end. It's a fun watch and holds up on a rewatch. Brett gives it a five, and Zach mm. also gives it a five. Yeah, close for you. Very close. And then finally, we have David. Hi, David. Uh, there's a bug in the Chevron encoding bias buffer. Exclamation wonder- point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Yeah, I wonder if David's going to think that I did the Bane route, too. Let's find out. It's, it's possible. Uh, he says... I have seen this episode before. I've seen all of SG Stargate Atlantis. I knew the fates of all the main characters in the Puddle Jumper and that they would indeed survive this episode relatively unharmed. The ending still had me on the edge of my seat. Add to that a good non-linear story, and for me, it adds up to a top-tier TV sci-fi. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brent is going to give this a seven chevrons because no. there was a bug, and I know how Brent feels about Stargate episodes <laughs> with bugs. <laughs> Maybe I'm cured. Maybe this one cured me of it. That could be. Um, and Zach 
is going to give the seven chevrons as well because this is redacted to the redacted and they are super redacted to the heavily redacted. Ah, I see. Uh, and then he gives uh, the unredacted version below. So let me read that. Uh, because this is... Uh, uh, he, he, the, the various redactions has something to do with the introduction of the erratus bug, which I, oh. I talked about. So okay. there you go. Yep. Yep. Um, so, dear listeners... Uh, apparently, we uh, are harsher on this episode overall than you, um, but that's okay. That's all right. Uh, that's, that's how we know we're how different. That's things roll. That's right. If we were all the same, that'd be boring. That could be kind of boring. It would now, be very boring. Yeah. The next episode. So we come go from 38 minutes, and we went from, you know, previously to that, we were at zero hour. Oh, yeah. And, right, right. So we had the zero hour, and then yeah. we got more time, because we got 38 minutes to zero uh-huh. hour. Yeah, sure. Right? And yep. now... Our next episode of Stargate SG-1 is entitled Icon. Uh-huh. What's Icon all about? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It's a world where they encounter yet another society. They've been encountering a lot of societies lately. They encounter a society that they have never encountered before. And at first, communicating with them is almost impossible. It seems like every tr- every trick they try doesn't seem to work. First, principally, it appears that like how the Stargate can't seem to translate the Unas language, uh, but it seems to translate everything else. Uh, th- this is a language that they can't seem to have translated for, nor do they have any kind of linguistic hooks that they could use. It doesn't seem to be related to any previous ancient languages that they've encountered before. This one's a definite puzzle. But the people are friendly enough, and they don't seem to be particularly scared of individuals walking through the Stargate. Perhaps they're used to that. That's good. Uh, technologically speaking, they don't seem to be any better or worse than our fair friends on Earth. So, you know, net neutral on that. But as the continuing conversations evolve, they suddenly start to establish something of a pattern as they are talking with them. It seems like everything seems to be backwards, peculiar. But as they start to kind of... Wrap their minds around a language that, from their point of view, is backwards, things start to line up. You see, earlier they came across a tablet, and on that tablet was uh, an English word, which further confused them even farther, which read icon. But reading it now backwards, it's no see? That doesn't seem to make any sense. And then Daniel has an idea. You see, this language. If you hear it backwards, sounds an awful lot like Latin. Peculiar. No sia. No 101. No 100. So two weeks ago, we had zero. And this week, we had 38. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1, where we are blessed with 101, but not no 101. But say it backwards with me. Icon. Confused yet? So was I this week with Atlantis. Whatever. We're going to have crazy story time. Join us so, next time on so, Stargate uh, SG-1. Yes. So, so I, 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 I appreciate where you're going with this. Yeah, I really uh, worked I hard actually, on it. it I, 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 I actually thought it was really good. I was just thinking that you could do the, the, the like, N-O as in, like, like period, the... the Number. Uh, the number, right? Uh, the, so it would be number 101. There's a there's a town in Michigan called Novi, and rumor has it that it is actually the number six stop on whatever, whatever the rail line was that went through there. N O V I. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, that, that makes sense. 
Well, um, in order to determine whether or not you were accurate in your prediction, we uh-huh. should watch the promo. I bet you there's going to be a number 101. Well, we will wait and find out. Okay. Are I'm you ready? ready? Go. Yes. I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Daniel Jackson finds himself trapped behind battle lines in the middle of a civil war. Oh! A war that SG-1 may have inadvertently triggered. Uh Uh-oh. Really? Our history tells of an age when all powerful gods ruled our world. It's a Cylon! The Great Ring was supposed to be the source of their power. Of course, we know these are merely legends from our ancient past. But when the true believers take control, the balance of power shifts. I greet you in the name of our great nation, Abidon. You changed the name? Abidon speaks more to our people's beliefs. It's Daniel Jackson calling Stargate Command. It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Your people are panicked and your country is on the verge of collapse. Should control of the Rand Protectorate fall into Soren's hands, we'll consider it an act of war. Uh-oh. Oh my. Oh no. Well, that wasn't a bunch of people that could speak backwards. Well, we don't know. Maybe they can. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe all of this is just a grand ploy as they're communicating a wonderful play or a peaceful resolution. Maybe that's it. It looks like it's, it's devolving into war, but it's actually constructing into a peace accord. That that's entirely a possibility. Mm-hmm. It's also possibly that that's wishful thinking. Uh huh. Um, I you can't think? remember exactly how the episode ends. So. <laughs> 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 we're in it we're in uncharted territory not only uh, do i know not no, i don't know what i'm talking about neither do you well i wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> well dear listeners uh tell us what you think uh mm-hmm. tell us where we got it wrong where we got it right yeah. uh yeah. clearly a lot of you thought this episode was way better than what we thought it was yeah uh, so this is an opportunity to uh you know complain about us and talk about <laughs> us behind our backs or in front of our backs which is still kind of behind you because well if no, you're there's in front of- there's a whole channel on the discord about talking about it. i don't follow it because it it can i know that it can easily cross into spoilerville that's true. That's true. Just go and in the Discord and just yell so about it. So go to the Discords and talk about this episode and what we did, all that stuff, and, you know, have fun with it because yeah. that's what this project is about. It's about having yes. fun and enjoying the show and this project together. And you're part of it, and Brent's part of it, and I'm part yep. of it, and David's yep. part of it, and, yep. and, and, and everybody. So yep. all of that is to say, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.